0: These interviews and segments were recorded before the COVID-19 coronavirus epidemic expeditiously impacted the world. This episode speaks directly to the water crisis, which many Detroiters and Michiganders have experienced as the essential resource abundant to our great state has become more and more of a business in our region. Please enjoy and listen to the RiverWise podcast and support by subscribing on Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify or Google Play. Thank you.
2: You're listening to
1: the Detroit is different podcast network. Water makes up 80% of the human body. It's essential to the maintenance of life and health. It is a precious and increasingly scarce resource that is inaccessible to most of the world since it's locked in polar ice caps and underground. Less than 1% is available in rivers and streams. This is what makes our region unique to the world. The Great Lakes holds one-fifth of the world's freshwater supply. Much of it is used by utilities, industries, and farmers. Data from the State Department of Environmental Quality shows that big business uses trillions of gallons of water yearly, paying little for it. Water has long been commodified by municipalities and by international law. We've internalized the idea that what should be a human right can be denied populations unable to afford it. For many Detroiters, clean water is also a luxury, scarce and precious, and for many, entirely inaccessible. Since 2014, more than 50,000 households have had their water shut off due to delinquent water bills. An internal report from the Water Department itself showed that in 2019, 25,000 properties had been shut off as of October 31st. Many of these households have been restored, but still a whopping 11,000 properties remain disconnected, many of which are occupied homes. For years prior to Detroit's 2013 bankruptcy proceedings, organizations like We the People of Detroit, the People's Water Board, and the Michigan Welfare Rights Organization have tirelessly pushed the city for a water affordability plan to no avail. This more sustainable form of payment is simple. You pay what you can afford. Instead, thousands of Detroit residents now live like refugees in a water war, many of them being driven into desperation, despair, and dislocation, living in fear that their children will be taken away because there is no water in the home. Water bills have been added to property taxes, driving more residents from their homes and increasing the impact of the overall foreclosure crisis. The water shutoffs are the aftermath of the endemic racism and structural complicity that has plagued the city since the election of Coleman A. Young as mayor. Water was the city's most valuable asset. The desire to control this asset helped to fuel the economic sanctions disguised as disinvestment that drove the city into bankruptcy and led to the creation of the Great Lakes Water Authority, a move that led to the regional governance of the city's water system. But as always, in the dark, there is a flicker of light. Young people attending the Detroit Community High School in the Brightmoor District have, under the direction of what the school calls the Makerspace, designed a water purification system that will capture rainwater and make it drinkable. Can this initiative help us think about the way that we capture and allocate precious resources more equitably? Is this a prime example of place-based education and the idea that schools have a responsibility to address community issues in time of crisis? Is this another opportunity? To look beyond a questionable legal framework to a more advanced paradigm, which prioritizes quality of life first for all people. We'll look at these questions and more during this segment of the RiverWise podcast, brought to you bimonthly monthly by the RiverWise Collective and the Detroit Is Different Podcast Network.
0: And welcome to the RiverWise Podcast. This is a podcast where we take some time to dive into the issues and um, things affecting families, young people, groups in the city of Detroit, and the solutions, the tools, the systems, and the people um, in the grassroots community who are affecting change to them. Um, I'm your host, Amas Mohammed, and with me on the mic is the managing editor of the RiverWise magazine, Eric Campbell. Hey, hey. Today, we are talking with Maureen Taylor. Uh, she is the parent coordinator for the Detroit Community Schools and a state chair for the Michigan Welfare Rights Organization. We're going to be talking about something uh, that has affected so many neighborhoods in the city of Detroit and those families and people in those communities, uh, the Detroit water crisis. Um, this has been happening for well over a decade, and I think it's important that we uh, dive in, talk about some of the people who are engaged, who are affecting, who are engaged, who uh, working with families and youth um, in this situation.
2: Thanks, Amas. Yeah, this story is is important to us, important to a lot of folks um, because of the fact that this is one of those stories, I'm speaking of the makerspace at Detroit Community Schools where um, where a group of kids got together along with facilitators and put together a very special project that we'll we'll name in in a minute. But we find it uh, a vital story, vital to talk about because of the fact that it's had a transformational effect on the kids themselves, and we think the community around them. And furthermore, it has worked towards allowing us to think about taking responsibility for something even as important and as widespread an issue as water access. So we're looking for those, you know, we're looking for those stories where people are taking control, um, oftentimes with these institutions that you know have failed us in many ways. Um, we're looking for new leaders in the community and we think this is one of those stories uh, that exemplifies that. So we, uh, we have a story coming out in the next RiverWise Magazine and we thought this story was important enough to follow up with on the podcast. Um, and we're, for, we're very, very fortunate to have Maureen Taylor here who's been on the front lines for quite a while now. So we thank you, Maureen, for joining us and uh, we're looking forward to uh, having a, uh, a wonderful conversation.
0: All right, Wayne, thank you for joining us today. Uh, just got out of work, came straight here from the That's school. Right. Mm-hmm. Got, here, <laughs> got here in like um, what seemed
3: like 10 minutes you got down yeah. here. In. Well, I, I drove fast. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, could you tell us a little bit about um, your role at the Detroit Community Schools? Um, what, is, what does it mean to be a parent coordinator? Um, how does that work out? And, and how, how do you feel?
3: The parent coordinator position at Detroit Community Schools is responsible for coordinating um, challenges uh, that parents may recognize or may experience that may act as a barrier to uh student participation, student excellence, student academic achievements, anything along those lines. And uh, what that really means is uh, if our parents in the Brightmoor community, and that's where uh, we're stationed, uh, experiences something along the lines of a parent might be sick, a parent Uh, may uh, be injured, a parent may have uh, uh, died, uh, uh, or there could be some structural kinds of problems, meaning that the parent is so poor or low income, they don't have enough money to uh, manage uniforms or books or notebooks or those kinds of things. And in uh, Detroit, Recently here, uh, almost all of the parents uh, are aware of water problems, lights and gas problems, and a few of them from time to time suffer uh, threats of shutoffs or are off. Uh, so the parent coordinator position steps in that gap, and anything that stands in the way of student ec, students managing academic excellence, it becomes my task to try to remove those barriers. So that's what I do.
0: That's incredible. Uh, and how long have uh, you been working um, and in the Detroit uh, community schools? Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the Detroit Community School? What what is important about that school um, in the Brightmore community?
3: Yes, I can. Now it feels like I've been there about 150 years, (laughs) but actually it's closer to nine. Mm -hmm. But uh, 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 Detroit Community Schools was a a concept, an experiment. uh, Actually, a lot older than uh, the period of time that I've been there. Started by a couple of folks, and one of the prominent names is Mr. Bart Eddy, and it's in the Brightmore community, and we. We're talking about Burt Road between Schoolcraft and Plymouth, and for you uh, certainly, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Eric and yourself, Mr. Mohammed, uh, you probably already know that the uh, Brightmoor community is one of the poorest, mm-hmm. and some of the neighborhoods that my students and uh, my parents have to walk through if they don't have cars uh, are frightening, and uh, the the community that used to be uh, working class is now still working class, but every other house is uh, boarded up. And so many people have left that community because options and opportunities were so few and far between. So uh, Detroit Community Schools is K through 12, and we sort of stand in the gap. So in the middle of parents deciding that they don't want their kids to go outside of the area, preference being I'd like my child, kindergarten through 12th grade, to go to school in that community, 48223. Uh, That's where we stand. Mm. So we do a lot of work with um, the little ones and field trips and academic math is going on this evening and anything and everything we could do to try to promote as much academic excellence as possible that's what we do, and already, we've already had one millennium scholar at mm. my school. So uh, that's the task, and it's certainly made much more challenging because the economic opportunities in Brightmoor are so very limited. Mm-hmm.
0: So you uh, being there for nine years, that is within <laughs> that time frame we saw the kind of height of the water shutoff crisis. Um, mm-hmm. And I know from um, some of the research that I've done that we've done and done through the magazine that Brightmoor has been pr- r- very much affected as one, yes. one of the neighborhoods that's been most dramatically yes. affected. So how in your work with students and with the families of that area, how has that affected it? Um, where have you engaged and what are some of the things that you've been doing and mm-hmm. seeing?
3: Well, one of the uh, challenges, uh, uh, particularly uh, connected to the water crisis, is uh, the information that has been fed to us for a number of years now, that the Brightmoor community it has the second highest numbers of water shutoffs or threatened water shutoffs. Now, it's very difficult to try to pin down the exactness of those numbers, because whenever you have a conversation with the people at the water department and if you ask them some questions, how many shutoffs are there in the Brightonville community and give them the boundaries, they always give the same answer. Well, we're not quite sure, and we're going to go and research that information, and uh, we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been getting back to a lot of us for decades, and they <laughs> never uh, uh, seem to be able to determine and to pin down what we're talking about. But that's just a smoke screen for the scandalous Practice if it's one shutoff in Brightmore, that's one too many. Mm -hmm. And what the connection is is that, uh, you know, we have minors, uh, 18, 17 years of age, and, and younger, that attend school. And for the water department to suggest that they have the authorization and the right. To interrupt water where there are children, where there are low-income people, where there are disabled people, where there are elderly people, where there are veterans, is scandalous and a sin. And one, again, that's our position of welfare rights. If you shut off one, we should brick you. Mm -hmm. If you shut off two, we should brick you twice as hard. And you can't go up the numbers. And it's just terrible like that. So there are times when the kids will come to school and we have um, washers and dryers at my school. This is wow. a new new mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have showers, of course, because we've got an exciting basketball team, an exciting football team. Uh, we have runners and sprinters. We have all of those sports and whatnot. So we openly um, uh, make uh, or, or have access to Any of those things that have to do with cleaning your clothes or cleaning your bodies because the water may be shut off at your home or lights might be shut off or gas might be shut off. So we have to do and prepare and uh, uh, make available wraparound services for our students. They never come to you and say, I'm having a problem. What will happen is that a parent, a grandparent, will call after school and mm-hmm. say, "Miss Taylor, uh, uh, I need to talk to you about something. And that's when you start to figure out that something is going on. So you're, Scandalous.
2: I'm going to jump in real quick, Amas. I just want to ask, um, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, compared to the work that you've been doing for quite a while with Michigan Welfare Rights, mm-hmm. um, and you, you, this is ca- kind of alluding to the question that you asked, Amas, as far as comparing— um, the struggle that you you've undertaken in the seat of Michigan welfare rights versus the seat you're in a community uh, Detroit community schools, and it's occurring to me that you you have a much more uh, kind of on the ground um, view of what what's really going on in the neighborhood. Is that is that?
3: Uh, yeah, that would be correct. Now, I'm a social worker. Uh, I'm a real social worker mm-hmm. and MSW by trade. But because I have uh, uh, quite a bit of experience, uh, certainly as chairperson of uh, welfare rights, uh, I'm able to recognize crisis situations when they show up and able to ascertain that I might need to talk a little bit more to this student or that student because the kids will come to school and they'll say, "Uh, John, he sure smells funny. That is the kind of information that my ears perk up when I hear that sort of thing. And then that tells me that uh, uh, I may need to go and interview a particular student because there is a a bullying kind of behavior Mm -hmm. that's hiding something else. Mm -hmm. So my experience as a, a trained observer first responder, uh, I'm quite aware of when I see that there are problems or I hear that there are problems, I generally am able to uh, uh, discern what the basis of the problem is, and it's always about poverty. Mm -hmm. It is always about not having enough resources to manage, always.
2: And just to follow up real quick, is is, is the role you're playing at Detroit Community Schools, is that unique uh, compared to other schools in the Detroit area, is GPS um, providing, providing you know similar support? You know,
3: I, Mr. Campbell, I'm not sure how many other schools uh, and what other grades throughout the city of Detroit uh, uh, have been forced into providing washers and dryers mm-hmm. uh, at their schools, but I suspect. That many schools, both charter and public, are now having to install washers and dryers at schools because what's going on in Brightmore is not just specific to Brightmore. There are water shutoffs, lights and gas shutoffs that are occurring across Detroit, across Highland Park, across Hamtramck. People think that uh, this is only affecting people of color. That's not true. It's affecting people who are low income, and it doesn't matter what color you are. So I don't know what's going on in other schools, but I suspect that this is a, a new trail that we are all blazing where you have to have a uh, stove and maybe a uh, extra blankets, and for sure dryers and washers and detergent probably at most of the schools how scandalous yeah, is, is this mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. i i I'm i am so it struck makes you i know i am so i am so struck yeah, i am struck not only by <sighs> I'm saying. i mean, the absolute like it, it's it is it's saying scandalous <laughs> is it's correct it's so unfortunate and so wild that this is happening to youth who are just trying to learn and to yeah. be the future and to grow and and, <laughs> and it's it's so powerful to hear the strength that you're bringing just in in stating the facts and being present um, with the youth who are going through this um, it's it's it 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 is terrible but it also I am so much heartened by um, your voice and in hearing the strength that you are bringing and um, In the school, I think that this within the article and something that I I was very struck by was this idea of a maker space. Um, Within, uh, not only within these crises, and and I don't always want to look at innovation through a lens of crises Mm because it's not always where innovation comes from, although we we seem to get stronger in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, What, if you can speak to what uh, was the you know, genesis of the Makerspace? How have the students engaged with it? Um, not necessarily directly through the crises, but uh, just as a, as young people having access to a space like that.
3: Well, you, you all are too young to remember, but uh, there was a time when most schools offered um, shop classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, those classes had a certain... Um, profile to them in terms of they allowed students, uh, boys and girls, mostly boys, to be able to learn how to manage with wood, how to manage with cutting metals and cutting wood and impressions of, uh, and, and artwork and all those kinds of things. And a lot of that went away. Well, for whatever reason, uh, these folks in the Brightmoor community, again, Mr. Bart Eddy and others, had a, a concept that woodworking is, is not just woodworking, it's not just shop. It has a a feature that involves problem solving techniques. And for whatever reason, however it happened, I tell Mr. Eddie all the time, uh, an acorn must have fell and hit him on the head mm. and told him that some of those things that used to happen may be good to recreate and to advance. So we've got this uh, uh, dynamic that's called the makerspace. space. It's in a whole nother section behind the high school area. And what it does, it insists because girls don't want to go to makerspace. They think, no, no, that's not dainty enough my fingernails may get uh, dirty Up, everybody's got to go to the makerspace and what they learn there is an opportunity to understand this is a piece of wood and what is inside of this wood is something special and your task as a student is to find whatever that specialty is inside that wood and open it up because the specialty is already there all the student has to learn to uh, to do is to open it up and let it out Mm -hmm. and so this whole question of uh problem solving i can't uh, uh cut the wood the way i want well you have to try it again and then you have to try it again and then you may have to try it several more times and finally you will get to the size that you want okay the next part is vinyl and and putting something on the outside or varnish or paint or whatever the next piece is and i did it the first time and it didn't work you may have to do it again you may have to do it a third time and beyond and what the students are learning is there's some patience that's involved with problem solving there's patience that is involved with just taking a step from a to b and it's no need to be upset and losing your cool and and oh I can't do this because life is moving from A to B from B to C and you have to learn these talents. What Mr. Eddie and some of the other folks involved in the makerspace have done is provided a an environment and an atmosphere where students can come in. Uh, the Barnabas Youth Center was part of what was going on. We just lost uh, one of our favorite people over there at the Barnabas Center. And and uh, uh, it was about woodworking. And. I have to tell you, and I know I'm biased, the girl, the female woodworkers are much more talented than the boys. (laughs) I know I'm gonna hear about this later, but those girls, boy, they know how to get right in there Mm -hmm. and not only get the wood cut, but to, to chisel out the letters or chisel out the numbers for addresses and the words that they put on there. I say, we had Stan and Howard King that started the Barnabas Youth Center, and they were all connected to uh, Mr. Bart Eddy. And all throughout Brightmore, there are signs made out of wood with varnish on them and colors on them and all kinds of beautiful work. And uh, uh, these are life altering changes so it continues to go on we have shop uh in 2020 at detroit community schools for boys and girls yay
0: girls (laughs) i think that i think when i heard that the idea of reintroducing uh, makerspace or shop or that is so important especially Mm -hmm. when you're when you think about People have difficulty with access and, and availability instead of feeling that feeling of hopelessness of not being able to, if, if something happens in your home or to your car or to your, and, mm-hmm. and feeling that you have just by engaging with material the ability to at least stop the problem or halt the problem or, or engage with it through that problem solving, that critical thinking that it offers such an important bit of like life. And and hope and 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 empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um,
2: I was going to say too. One of the things that makes me think of, and you mentioned, you know, us having shop or not. I didn't. And you know, one of the things that stuck out to me about the Detroit Community Schools Maker Space was it's it's, and I think this is part of its evolution to become sort of a community, kind of a place-based education center. But but yes. but it occurs to me now when you when you compare it to shop that th- those types of skills inherently have this. Uh, problem solving that translates into what's going on in the community versus other classes which may may not have that immediate effect. That's right. And that just comes out of just being able to use your hands and, and create.
3: You know, being able to tell a ninth grader, a tenth grader, and they're sitting in a woodworking class with very little interest when they come in. Mm -hmm. And you pick up a piece of wood uh, or a paintbrush or uh, a piece of paper, and they have to do a design on it. And, again, they're coming there, I don't know, it just doesn't look like fun to me, Mm -hmm. with very little interest. And you explain that the nature of this course is that there is something special inside of this, and it's waiting to be freed That makes ninth graders look at each other. What did she say?
0: Mm
3: -hmm. There's something inside this that you have to open it up and let it out. Mm. That evokes a certain level of emotion. And then... Whatever you know, challenges that may be going on in math, which I don't like, or science, which I don't like, or chemistry, with I don't like, or problems at the house, mommy's getting beat up and I don't care for that, and all these other things that may be happening, after a while, you come to the woodworking uh, classes, the makerspace, and your whole concept is now transfixed on freeing whatever it is inside this wood Mm -hmm. that needs to come out. And I can't tell you, gentlemen, the number of times that kids show up and no interest, no interest at all. And all of them aren't interested, but the number of absolute artistic scholars that are discovered because a ninth or tenth or eleventh grader came to the makerspace and they've never had any connection with a paintbrush or a chisel or anything like that, and how they'll come and stay after school an hour or two. They get on my nerves at mm-hmm. times because they won't go home. But the interest in terms of my identity might be connected. To my talents and I didn't know it was there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's a wonderful opportunity. Some of the worst kids I ever met in my life. I want to hit them upside the head. They go to that maker space and their whole attention and disruptive behaviors change because I have to find a way of getting this message out of this piece of wood so I can get my mother's address on it. And I have to find a way to chisel those numbers and make it happen. Changes, I've seen just changes that are so abrupt, you can hardly recognize that kid.
2: Mm -hmm. And we should mention before we get to the uh, water purification project, Mm -hmm. the the water filtration project, the wide range that the Makerspace now offers as far as different types of projects, it started with the, with the wood signs um, that you see throughout Brightmoor. But can you talk about the, uh, the range of activities that you see in the, in the makerspace currently?
3: Okay, uh, the ranges, uh, the, the woodworking space and the maker space, as I uh, said, is at the rear of the school. Uh, from time to time, I'm invited to come back and take a look. And the majority of the work that goes on there is about wood, shaving wood, creating designs out of wood. And the water situation and and the uh, uh, purification concept uh, was fairly new. But about three or four years ago, and I think Mr. Eddie and uh, the students had been doing this for a while, but those little rascals were able to design a tricycle and a big wheel and two wheels in the back. And they put a a, a place to sit behind the seat and they started to paint and customize these uh, uh, tricycles. And there came a time that I would be on my way to school and tricycles would pass me on my way to school. And I would look, that's one of ours. And I think the neighborhood started to become very interested in it because this was a way of creating another activity for kids, painting and designing, and it led to some other things but uh, being able to sell tricycles. And I had never even thought of anything like that. Last time I've seen a tricycle was uh, 200 years ago. (laughs) And these kids were creating and customizing uh, tricycles uh, because uh, this was an opportunity to create something that looked like uh, transportation for themselves and for their sisters and their brothers. And they started to create uh, a... uh, what would you call them? Places to carry groceries, mm, and mm. places to carry another sister or brother on the back seat. And, uh, you know, uh, they were they were carrying uh, additional carts. The they were managing things as far as they could think. So uh, that was a particular project, and that still goes on. And then that led right up until the the uh, tricycles, then the crisis about water. They started to deliver water in the tricycles to different homes, and then we get to the water purification activities uh, that was just tied part and parcel to these issues that we were having in terms of water shutoffs. the the uh, what's the bi- uh, the biblical reference? The knee bone connected to the thigh bone, mm-hmm. the thigh bone connected <laughs> to the next bone, and and it it just uh, uh, developed, and so many other things just developed from there. Do you want to jump into Moss? well
0: um, oh, I think that's good. I, I I didn't know. I I had read about the like the tricycle with the water purification on the back, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't aware of. Um, and I, and I guess it makes sense, but the. The availability of creating these tricycles and modes of transportation throughout the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I mean, I know when I was younger, seeing bike shops was so exciting, and like just watch all of the different styles and colors and wheels, and just that 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 sense of freedom that comes from having your own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. bike and your own tricycle or your own you know way of getting on the back. Let's go down the block. Um, I mean, that's that's an incredible thing. And I'm glad that. Uh, are they selling them is that that's what they do offer uh, uh, or do they
3: they they at one time and i'm saying it that way because pretty much uh, a lot of the activities now is confined to the request that they get for an address uh, made out of wood mm-hmm. or uh, a, a name uh, uh made out of wood and the water purification systems and i think a lot of their activities are designed in that area uh, i would mention also that uh, this year will be our fifth anniversary of participating in a STEAM project, Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Music slash Math. And uh, for years, we have someone from the makerspace to either bring the tricycle with the water purification system uh, loaded on the back to a table where uh, some of the the uh, actual artwork connected to wood is displayed. So as people, you know, it's always two or three hundred uh, guests, parents, other folks that come to the steam activities, where uh, uh, we display. Uh, we have a, a steam demo day activity every year, and. Those things are made available, and orders for tricycles, orders for wood, orders for whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, come to that uh, activity all the time. So there, there's no end to the kind of work and the kind of community participation that goes on in that maker space Monday through Friday and whatever the heck it is that they do on Saturdays, because they come back on Saturdays mm-hmm.
2: too. Yeah, <laughs> and that's actually, when we visited, we went out on a Saturday. Yeah, and it seems to be that that's the time when the Makerspace is opened up to other children in the community, other young folks in the community who actually don't necessarily attend the schools. That right? it becomes right. it becomes more of a community mm-hmm. hub at that point. Mm-hmm. That's interesting about the bikes you mentioned. There was a delivery component throughout Brightmoor. You know, we did a we did a short story on the on the water delivery trike. And it was my understanding, it was my thinking that the this new water tank, uh, water filtration system was really—I don't want to say the first time—but was really uh, the makerspaces' first um, real interaction with the community, you know, out really outside of the makerspace. And that's why, you know, that was one of the reasons why, you know, we thought it was special was the fact that this was an obvious attempt um, to. Not only solve a community problem on the you know inside of the the shop, but actually take it out into the take it out into the community.
3: I uh, took a challenge to Mister Eddie two, three, four years ago, and said to him, you know, these tricycles that you all are manufacturing and putting together with the water purification system loaded on the back is just a a marvel of creativity. But uh, uh, are you prepared to take it another step? Mm. And uh, once uh, you know, Mr. Eddie is open to things that are progressive and uh, once the conversation rolled around to how are we going to uh, manage to at least highlight this water crisis by not necessarily always delivering water, but what can these kids come up with in terms of trying to solve a situation where water is shut off and it's not available. So in between delivering water, is there something else we can put in the middle? And uh, he took it to the students and they said, well, why don't we make water purification systems? Why don't we see if we can do this? And I, I don't know how many attempts they've made, five, six, seven, I have no idea. Uh, to get the water purification set up at the uh, Bay Bar Church down the street uh, uh, with uh, Reverend uh, Larry Simmons on Bird Road, and I can recall the first two or three attempts, uh, water would go through this pot and go through the next pot and go through the third pot, and then they would get it tested and wasn't quite right. It start all over again, go through this pot, change something, go through the next pot, go through the third pot, not not quite ready. And then there came a time when it went through pot A, went through pot B, and got to pot C, and whatever they used to gather the water and then have it tested, it turned out that the water was absolutely pure. Oh, my goodness. That became an issue, all right? How can we let the neighborhood and the community know? And they were able to mount uh, these... um, tripods and some of these other activities connected to the water purification system, and they were able to connect it right to the back of the church. Reverend Simmons said that they could do that. And now it becomes another kind of an issue. Uh, Can you provide enough water through rain for X amount of hundreds of Mm-hmm. Thousands of people that are mm-hmm. without this. A uh, whole new issue. Yeah. But these students never missed a step. They never lost hope. They never lost faith. Mr. Eddie never lost a step, never lost faith. We can do this. And so it continues today. If we have to build a bigger unit, a bigger system— we can do that, and they only have between the ninth and the twelfth grade, <laughs> and then the next group has to continue to make a, a, to make the battle and to make the implements uh, fit whatever the crisis is. So. And just
2: and just so folks know, we're going we're going to back to the school on Saturday to talk to Mr. Eddie and Mr. Reed, uh, the kids who are involved in putting this project together. But we're, we're referring to a. Water filtration system, which which which, which through through a two stage filtration system, charcoal and UV lighting, in the end result is water which is actually drinkable. Yes. After it's collected from the rooftop into this 340 gallon tank.
3: Isn't that something? That's pretty amazing. Right there in the heart of the ghetto. Yeah. Four eight two two three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um. I, uh, when I'm listening to you talk about this, are there any – like you are so engaged with these young people um, and the connection is so – I can hear so clearly. Uh, is, can you tell us a little bit like more of a – some of the young people who have been affected in that community and how their experience has been working directly on the – in the makerspace or directly on this project? Um, is there anyone that really stands out to you that's really like been affected or engaged or um, –
1: transformed, taken,
0: transformed mm-hmm. by this project by being, being able to see their work manifest?
3: There are several students and, and um, uh, uh, one whose initials are A.B., and uh, that particular student, when I first met him, he just graduated in June. It just passed. And I met him when uh, he entered um, ninth, grade, ninth grade and came to uh, the parent coordinator area where I was angry about whatever and walked into my office and took his fist and, and, and hit my uh, c- uh, closet space and I had only seen him a few times, and he hit the space mad and fumes coming out of him. So, you know, I'm born and raised on the Lower East Side of the city Detroit. Detroit. So I jumped up and grabbed him by the collar, and he was at least uh, a foot taller than me. I what's wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? And I think I frightened him because he didn't expect that. Well, over these last uh, three to four years, uh, he has become just a model young man and when he graduated how can i tell you um he's a leader of not just men, he's a leader of humanity. I used to make the sign of the L and put it on my forehead to tell him you're not going to be able to escape the fact that you do have vision. So you're going to have to accept that responsibility. I don't want to. I'm not too bad. <clears throat> you know, you have a leadership quality about you that uh, folks are going to be able to gravitate toward. And a lot of that had to do with his involvement at Detroit Community, his involvement with uh, woodworking with his hands. There's another student that just had all of these disciplinary issues, and it was just one thing after the other. But when he was engaged with the makerspace, he changed, he was transformed. He finally decided in the 12th grade, he's one of my favorite folks, his first name starts with the letter T. And when he finally was ready to graduate, he decided that high school was just too much for him, too much, and he didn't graduate with his class. But during the summer, every summer, it's been two, three summers now I think, he comes back to the makerspace. Now during that time, in the 11th and most of the 12th grade, he was the absolute top drawer spokesperson for the water purification program and was able to quote chapter and verse about why this works, how it works, and why it's important to him and others. Now, all these disciplinary issues and you know people are upset with him and he can't get along with family members and all this kind of stuff. But whenever I see him, uh we embrace each other. And I'm just always so glad that t- just to see him. Oh, Miss Taylor, how are you? I'm fine, and how are you? And it just demonstrates, you know, this this discipline environment he was not able to manage and there were family problems which made it almost impossible for him to curtail his 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 issues. But that wood class, that maker space transformed him. And all I can recall of many, many things, but I still remember the day mm, uh, tearing up thinking about it where the twelfth graders trashed and put paper and water and whatever else, you know, they're about to graduate two, three, four months down the road and he came and went and got a push broom and he said, Miss Taylor, this is just ridiculous and he cleaned up everything. Two or three years earlier, he would have taken the push broom and beat people up with it but he had transformed himself because of the, the maker space to turning into came to get me to show me, this is just too much, and cleaned everything up, got the water up, the paper, and everything else. It's mm-hmm. that makerspace mm-hmm. that made him think I got an option. That's powerful. Yeah, he's so wonderful,
2: Maureen. Let me ask if I may. You know, I know that the water purification station was only. Out in public for a few weeks, perhaps. Just a few
3: weeks, yeah, less than two months. They're
2: doing some work on it, and they're mm-hmm. going to, you know, introduce it back out into the community of in the course. spring. Have there? Have you seen opportunities? Have any opportunities presented themselves to collaborate with some of the other folks in Brightmoor? You know, I know there's other folks in the grassroots, grassroots organizations who are doing work around water. Who are doing work around folks who are insecure in many ways in the community? Do you see that opportunity to, uh, you know, build those relationships through the water purification?
3: Oh uh, yes, the water uh, purification program and the concepts involved are part and parcel of a bigger program. That's called the Brightmoor Alliance, mm-hmm. and the Brightmoor Alliance is a, a, a conglomerate. To use a, a, a phrase, of all of the community-based organizations, very few churches. I, that that's a whole nother argument. I bring that up at a whole nother time. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, churches, some of the other uh, high schools and elementary schools and middle schools, and uh, uh, community groups and whatnot, and the uh, Alliance, headed up by, again, uh, Reverend Larry Simmons, and the the Water Collaborative is part of this uh, coalescing team. Uh, Mr. Eddie visits someplace uh, outside of the United States just about every year in an effort to get international support for what goes on at the um, water pur- uh, purification stations and the concepts. And what we're able to do in the Brightonmore community is to try to find um, alliances within that community. We reach out uh, for the longest time at the uh, STEAM uh, Demo Day Projects, uh, Local 600. Uh, UAW Local 600 over at Ford was one of our constant partners to be able to help with a little bit of funding and more work and more work and more work to be able to refine and then refine again and then refine again the water purification system. So there are uh, collaboratives. There are um, contexts within the Brightmore Alliance uh, that uh, uh, we've been together for a number of years now that continue to work together. And it's always about communication, it's always about come out for support when you're able to. And uh, there's no end. To that opportunity, mm-hmm. and it just goes on communication mm-hmm. and and connectivity and uh, uh, unifying. Even outside of the Brightmoor community, those efforts go on twenty four seven.
0: Oh, that's I love it. Yeah, this is great. It's, uh, it's
2: one of those stories. You know, I mean, this is this is these are the kind of stories we're trying to yeah. uplift. are okay. uh, These stories where people are finding different ways to resist things like water shutoffs. Um, which you know, should be at the top of the priority list because you know, water's mm-hmm. a human right. Yeah, we can't live without it.
3: Yeah,
2: and um, you know we appreciate what's going on. And we hope that uh, those opportunities do arise to build relationships with folks in Brightmore and throughout the city. One of the things that was very powerful to me in talking to the kids um, who had hands- on on this project was the fact that they started to develop ideas about how, if we recreated these water tanks, Throughout the you know that community, throughout the, the 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 city, does that become a viable system for uh, for all of us to obtain water, to be more community oriented, to mm-hmm. find ways to uh, gain and control resources, and become more se- overall more self reliant.
3: Um. You know, last year, uh, and uh, the information—I'm not sure if it's accurate or not—and and I say that because it came from the water department itself, and their accuracy is uh, only good with uh, what's the phrase—hand hand, uh, hand grenades—and and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they just try to get close, mm-hmm. but there were some fifteen thousand shut-offs that occurred over a specific period of time and not throughout the entire year but over uh, less than that and 12,000 customers were reunited and then three or four thousand somewhere in that area were still without water and you know these children they look at those numbers, they get those figures because I usually put them on my door so that people can see the truth. Now, whether or not water purification stations after they get it perfected to the point where they can be duplicated and put in different places, is that the answer uh, in terms of what to do about these mass water shutoffs that continue? Well, I think the students have the opinion Yes, we can make enough of these and put them in enough places where we can stop this. Is that realis- realistic? I'm not sure if it is or not. Yeah, I'm but not, I am I'm... so proud. <laughs> Mm. And I'm so proud yes. of the fact that they think they can do it. That's, no, absolutely. that's, that's, that that is, that's, that's the transformation that, that I'm, I'm getting it. to. Just to hear that, yes, to hear that idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can do it.
2: Speaks to you know looking looking mm-hmm. for resources, looking for <laughs> solutions within our community instead of without. That's that's
0: power. Empowering yourself mm-hmm. to take your life, take your community, Isn't that take wonderful? your family. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we mm-hmm. think we can do it. And I want them to continue to think that absolutely until... Uh, they say, Miss Taylor, you're going to have to retire because we got to take up this struggle and carry it on to the next uh, uh, level, and I'm going to certainly give them some water. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> and I want them to carry it on, but the fact that they believe that they can fix this with their own energy, their own strength, and their own in, in intuitive uh, uh, creativity, I, that just makes my heart feel good, that they think they can do it, and they will get to a point where the what do they call it, the mass sum uh, will get to that point where okay this is okay for emergencies but the systemic poverty connected to water shutoffs is going to have to be addressed uh-oh uh oh! You get take me there. That means I can go home and watch the rest of my cowboys. You all gonna fix this? So yes, I am uh, delighted to think that they have that kind of energy and courage, and they never get tired. We gonna make this work. Sounds right to me. Go do it. I love it. All right.
0: Well, I think that's unless you have anything else, I don't know if we can get better. than that. I think that. we I get, think
2: we, get, we, get, we definitely keep going. This is this is yeah. part of a series, but I mean we. The fact that we have Maureen Taylor in the room, we, you know, we don't yeah. want to cut it short, but we don't want to keep you either. Um, thank you so much, Maureen Taylor, for joining us. Thank you
3: for us. including me. I appreciate it very much. And I
2: want to recognize and thank you for your years of service on the front lines of some very, very important work. And we're glad to see you at Detroit Community Schools. And we're glad to see you involved in that work that transformation that's taking place in the Brightmoor neighborhood. And we need we need more folks on the front lines. So that's one yeah. place to start.
0: I think it's incredible that the young people in these places have someone like you to keep emboldening them and keep cheering them on and keep showing them that it is possible. Um, and that, that hope, that empowerment just right now just made me so almost choked up hearing like that they have that kind of cheerleader and they're taking the initiative and they're seeing their results in the front line, on the front line. And,
3: in in yeah. in present time, I thank you both for uh, including me in this discussion and whatnot. And hopefully the folks that hear this podcast, they'll know there's a space for you at the Makers Space. You got to come over to Detroit Community and the work never ends. Thank, thank you. you, Maureen Taylor. Thank you so thank much for
2: joining us. We're honored. And um, we're going to wrap it up.
0: Thanks uh, for joining us in this episode of the Riverwise podcast. Uh, The work never stops. We'll keep bringing you stories. We'll keep bringing you the voices that you need to hear um, and that we feel are bringing the light and the power and the strength to to all of this. So thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Next time. Thank you.